Welcome to the Emily Hibbard Show, where I, Emily Hibbard, interview people from different backgrounds, experiences, occupations, and faiths. Anaheim homicide detective Michael Wynn is my guest today. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, so no judgment, but I don't think that I would ever want your job. So help me understand what made you want to be a homicide detective. Well, I mean, so here at Anaheim PD, um, I think actually in most police departments, usually as an investigator, um, once you reach the homicide level, it's like you're kind of considered the best of the best at what you do, right? So uh, a little bit of my, my background, you, a little bit, you know a little bit about it, is I came from sexual assault, where I do have an extreme passion for because of the victims that are affected by that uh, hor- horrific crimes, whether it be child molestation or rape or whatever it is. Um, I felt myself getting comfortable there. And I know I wanted to take a next step in, in my investigations background and my skills. So um, I thought I'd, you know, challenge myself and, and become a homicide detective. So uh, I know that there was a lot more to learn and that, you know, taking somebody's life is pretty much the ultimate crime, right? And, and at the other side of it, there's somebody who's, who's suffering and they want justice for for somebody that um, was killed, you know, so the passion is obviously for these families, right, that that want justice. So here I have a great team um, at Anaheim PD. We, we work our butts off. We go, we work long hours. We do whatever it takes to get justice. So um, and, and being able to call somebody and let them know that we caught the person who killed their their loved one is brings me great satisfaction. Yeah. Walk me through what an average, I, I don't even know if there is an average day, but I mean, is this something that you do nine to five Monday through fi- Friday or as a homicide detective, what, what does that look like? Yeah. So, I mean, really it does vary. I mean, my normal hours for me, um, I work four days a week, 10 hour days. Um, my normal Hours are like 6 to 4, 6 a.m. to 4 p.m., but we're also on call pretty much all the time. Uh, we have designated on-call times, but since we are a, a smaller agency, not like LAPD or something like that, um, we have uh, eight, eight detectives in our unit, and uh, we take turns being on call, but if you're in town and, and a homicide happens, um, you're, you're pretty much expected to come in and help out. So, again, the day, my normal hours are for 6 to 4, but... Look, I, I mean, the minute I leave this interview and I go home and a homicide happens, well, guess who's coming back? You know, I'm coming back. And then the call-outs, we, we call them call-outs, right? Um, those could last anywhere from 10 hours to, you know, 16, 20. Maybe we'll go home and take a couple-hour nap or whatever and then come back. It just depends what the case is, what kind of evidence there is, what kind of lead there is, if we know who it is, if is that person on the run. Um, we're going to do whatever it takes to catch them. So, wow. Well, let's, I want to, I want to talk about the, the human side of this because we're talking about when someone loses their life, right? The, the, the ultimate, someone loses their life. And I mean, I definitely know that I don't have what it takes to, I, I just think it would wreck me. Um, what do you, what do you think it is about you and other homicide detectives that, I mean, obviously you would have to have. A high de- you know, resilience you have to and, and, a, and a big heart what do you what do you think it is about you that is drawn to such a 
dark or, or painful uh, or, or tragic. Um, I don't not not a tragic occupation, but you're meeting people in their worst moments. When you were a sexual right. assault detective, I thought that was bad. And then when you said you're a homicide detective, it's like, oh my gosh, Michael. Yeah. Um, what what is it about that? What's in your heart that you would yeah. want to go here? Yeah, I mean, I think it's no matter who gets killed, right? There's different. There's a wide array, like a spectrum of people who get killed, right? You have gang members, homeless people, children, women, but what they all have in common is that somebody, somebody loved them, right? Somebody loves them. So um, a piece of them is taken away. So what draws us is that we want to get these people who killed these people off the streets. I think that's a, a common goal that we, we work towards is that, you know, we know that if we we find somebody and they're convicted of killing somebody that they're going to re be removed from the streets for pretty much ever. And, you know, we don't want the, those kind of people out in our society. We, you know, we're protecting them from others, our own family. So I think that's the common goal is that we want, we want justice for the victims. We want them off the streets and that's part of our job. That's what we do. We, we go for the bad guys. We go after the bad guys. Mm -hmm. Have you seen, so in the last, you know, year or so it's been these, past couple of years have just, you know, been wild and there's a lot right. of groups out there that would that would prefer uh, you know, less law enforcement in their neighborhoods or or in yeah. their areas. Has that affected Anaheim in in any way? Um it hasn't affected the way we do work. It actually because uh, we we're, we're doing the same thing no matter what. Um we haven't really had, you know, crazy budget cuts or anything like that, but what it has changed is that um I mean, it just seems like it's busier. It's gotten a lot busier. So, when you where, say busier, do you mean there are more homicides? Cor correct, correct. So last year we had a, a very busy year at 17 homicides, which is a lot for us. I think the year before that we were around 10 or something like that, and they average around 10, 11, 12, uh, something around that number. But last year we had 17, and this year Thanksgiving we just had one, so we're up to 24. And the year isn't over, so there has been a rise, and it, and it's it, it. I mean, I'll admit it's it's tough on the unit because you know, like I said, there's only eight of us. We all have we all have cases that we're assigned to, but once something happens, we drop whatever we're doing. We're gonna help out the lead detective, and um, you know, we're gonna get it done. But it has been busy. I'm not gonna lie. Wow, what what do you think is your motivation to do the type of work that you do? Um, again, the motivation is one, this is my calling, right? This is what I, this is what I signed up to do. Um, I felt like God put me in this position to, to be a police officer, to help out others. Um, but the drive is again, it's, uh, justice for the victims, the family, and to, you know, get these guys off the streets, not guys and gals, obviously. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, that's, that's our motivation. We, we do it and we do it to help, you know, it's kind of like pride in our in our department as well, right? We want to be the best unit out there. So, and we want to get cases cleared. We don't want cases just to go cold and 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 yeah, families wondering, you know, what's going to happen with the case. So we try to do our best to get justice for the family. So let's let's talk about that for a second. So for every for every homicide victim, there's a family, right? You said yep. somebody loved that person, whether it was a homeless person, whether whether it was someone. A kid, an adult, you know, whoever 
how do you, what's that interaction like on a human level? What's that interaction like when you're, when you have to let family members know that someone that they loved was, was, was killed? Yeah, that, I mean, that is one of the toughest parts of this position because uh, once someone is killed, we, we do a family notification and we do those in person. So, um, I mean, if possible, if that person's family lives out of state, obviously we have to, you know, do it over the phone, but most of the time it's in person. So, um, every, every situation is different. Every family member reacts differently, but they're all tough. It's cause there's no easy way to tell somebody that, you know, their loved one has been killed, the next of kin. Um, so yeah, there is, there are times where people just sob, they'll, they'll just sob, I mean, we'll give them huge hugs and they're just sobbing or there, there are other times where they're just like, get out of my way. I want to be left alone. And we understand that, you know, cause everybody reacts different, but that is definitely, uh, the most difficult, um, thing we do. One of the most difficult things we do. So. Man, what, what kind of resources are available, if any, um, and I'm sure it's different from department to department, but what sort of resources are available for, uh, families of victims. Yeah. So, I mean, like the immediate help is like, we have chaplains available if uh, different types of chaplains where they can go out and, you know, be with them, pray with them, um, on that side. But there's also, um, you know, there's victim, what we call victim witness where there's certain programs we help, you know, maybe there's a family who can't afford funeral costs or, or something like that. Um, we'll get them in touch with the, with the victim advocate to help them, go through the process. So, and then with that, you know, the, with these homicide cases, usually they don't go to trial for years because wow. it's just one, district attorneys are backed up Two, these things just take a long time to the, the, the investigation itself. And so there's a victim advocate assigned to each family. We'll, we'll help, help them keep them in the loop and then like be with them throughout the entire process. So once they go to trial, the victim advocate will sit with the family or, you know, the victims affected and just be with them. So that's, um, that's a great resource. Wow. Wow. Well, glad that, you know, that's available to them. Um, yeah. for, for you, what, what is the future? What does the future look like? I mean, you're, you're, you're so young to be a homicide detective <laughs> and yet, um, you know, you've, you've got a, you've got a bright future. What is, what does that look like? Yeah. So, I mean, I just hit my two year mark. Um, I told I told the boss here that I'd give three years for sure, and then kind of reevaluate where I'm going to go with that. So, this January will be 18 years. I may look young, but I'm not really. Young. I just turned 40, <laughs> and um, so I don't know. Like we'll see, because you know it's you know I talked with my wife, and luckily she's in law enforcement as well, and she understands. But she knows that uh, being on call all the time is can be um, you know taxing on the family and getting called in and hours, but. So far, it hasn't been that bad. Um, it goes in waves. But, uh, yeah, I, I can't say. I mean, I, it was always a dream of mine to be a supervisor at some point. So mm. I have about nine, ten years left in the job. So um, we'll see where it goes. I, I, don't, I don't know yet. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Well, thanks for coming on the show today and kind of highlighting what this aspect of your life looks like. I know that it's for me, it's so foreign to me. So to talk with someone right. and kind of shed some light on this, uh, such a tragic part, but knowing that there's good guys like you in, yeah. uh, in that, you know, in there doing, doing God's work. Oh my gosh. It's, it's awesome to hear about. 
I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me tell my story. It's an honor. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Well, this concludes another episode of the Emily Hibbard Show. Connect with me on Instagram at Emily Hibbard. That's at E-M-I-L-Y-H-I-B-A-R-D. And I hope to see you in the next episode. Thank you.